You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Having a good morning this morning. Yes, good. Those piccolos are kicking in. Seriously, piccolos, I don't know. I just... I, uh, I'm with Simo, double espresso in the morning, long black at 11, another long black at 2. You can count the shots. It's a good day. Hey, just on, um, just on Pastor Simo talked about the marketing that we've got going out for the before gallery. Uh, this is what it looks like. It's simple. It's clear. And then, and then on the back is like a piece of artwork. Um, I want a huge shout out to not just Chris Windus, who does a lot of the, the media and the marketing, but Jess Paget, uh, who is actually curating our exhibition. She, the creative concept that she has for this year is awesome. Uh, it's to move it from being just an exhibit to an experience. It's, it's to shift it to something that people get an opportunity to, to engage with. We just don't want people to come and have a look at some nice art, although we have incredible artists. We want people to be able to engage in, in what it is to journey in life with Christ. And I, I want to I read the little bit of art that's on the back. It says, before there was creation, there was a saviour. Before there was chaos, there was calm. Before there was anxiety, there was peace. Before there was depression, there was joy. Before there was pain, there was healing. Before there was despair, there was hope. Before there was fear, there was love. Before there was sin, there was a solution. The Lamb of God was crucified before the foundations of the earth. I'm telling you, no matter what comes up in our life, there was a solution before it happened. Sin does not surprise God, let me tell you. Your sin does not surprise God. Your mistakes do not surprise God. He knew and He had a solution and He had it sorted out before you were even formed in your mother's womb. I'm telling you, He was there before and He will be there at the end. And we need to tell broken humanity that there was a solution before they even realised they had a problem. Um, And sometimes we need to know that. We need to know that when we have a day where we'd rather regret or forget that it doesn't matter. God knew beforehand. He loved us beforehand and He set up a solution beforehand. Um, and we should be so confident in that. So make sure you grab these. Make sure you, uh, you give them out to your friends, family, neighbours, whoever. We would love to see uh, hundreds of people come through that experience um, and have an opportunity uh, to just uh, maybe be, be exposed to, encounter the fact that there's a God that loves them. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, but I want to dive straight into the, the Word this morning. We've been tracking through Nehemiah. Who's enjoyed Nehemiah? Yeah, it's been good just to be in a book for a while, right? Just to, just to camp in one book of the Bible and see what God says to us from that. I've enjoyed that. Um, and we are into our final instalment this morning. It's like the season finale this morning. And uh, we are going to go into uh, the third season. It's like, it's like doing catch up on Netflix, right? You don't have to wait six months for the next season to come out. It starts next week straight away. We're going into the next season. And the next season is going to be about bringing. Uh, my father's house, Bring. So uh, you can kind of be preparing for that whilst you uh, watch and listen to the season finale this morning. But we're going to dive back into Nehemiah 4 and pick up where we left off and um, see what else Nehemiah has to say for us this morning. So starting uh, from Nehemiah 4, verse 12. It will hopefully go on the screen for you. Uh, I believe it will. So if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, uh, follow along on the screen. It says, the Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. 
So I placed armed guards around the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your, fam- your friends, your families and your homes. I tell you, they're three of the things that will come under attack first uh, in our life, our family, our friends and our homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. We didn't have enough coats of mail these days, I reckon. I'm going to get a few more of those. <laughs> a bit like weight training for running. Where are my runners at? Let's do some runs in some coats of mail. The officers stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The common laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side and the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to move into Jerusalem. That way, They and their servants could go on guard duty at night as well as work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. That that is a good thing. Um, Yeah, that's a wise piece of advice right there. We carried our weapons. If you're in battle, clothing is a a priority. Uh, We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Awesome. Carl, let's, um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your consistency. I thank you so much that you're real and we can lean into you and we trust you. We know that this life is done best, not by strength, nor by might, but by your spirit. We pray that your spirit would move this morning, that it would touch lives, that it would bring freedom and breakthrough, that that Lord, that it it would uh, in, in so many ways help us to realize that you are with us You are for us, not against us. I pray your word would uh, go out from this place and and do as you would have it do, Father. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the international break, that the jets can reset, refocus. And uh, Lord, this comfort the night supporters. It was tough last night uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lose by two points. It was difficult. All right. So when, uh, when my wife and I, uh, many of you would know, we, we spent a year, uh, it was a bit of a late gap year, uh, we didn't do it uh, sort of just after school, we thought that, um, you know, uh, rather than travelling by ourselves, why not wait until we get married and you can travel with your spouse, certain benefits that go along with that, that, that are, are fantastic, um, travelling with a spouse. And, um, and so uh, we, uh, after we've been married for about three or four years before we settled down to have children, because who knows that traveling with young children on planes and things is not really the idealistic uh, sort of picture that you have of overseas travel, um, unless of course you travel with Finergan. Um Come on, yes, amen. 
Uh, I have a funny story about that that I'll tell you another time uh, when I was the, the one in the receiving end of the Finergan. Um, but anyway, we, so we, we travelled around and we, we lived in London for a year and I worked as a teacher and we were, at, we were at C3 London and it was an incredible time for us as a couple. God really did a work in us, cementing in us kind of what He'd called us to as a couple, forming us as a couple, all this other stuff He did in us. But it was great. One of the places that we got to visit while we were over there was Croatia. I don't know if many of you have had a chance to see on Getaway or get there yourself, but it's beautiful. It's an amazing country, really incredible. And we went to this one place called, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, so I apologise, called Makaskar or Makaskar or anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Um, and we were there for a couple of days and uh, we met up with my brother and his wife and, and they were there traveling with us. And uh, one afternoon, my brother and I thought that we would go for a little walk and we found this cliff. And as boys generally do, you see a cliff, you see water. Those two things are a little simple equation. Uh, it equals cliff jump. Um, and you don't need too much thinking to go along with that. You just, that just is what it is. As long as the water's deep enough, it's a guarantee. And so... Um, being the leader that I am, I delegated uh, that the first jump should go to my brother. And so I, enco- <laughs> right. I encouraged him to go up and to check it out. And, um, and so, so he went up and he, he uh, you know, being the, uh, the guy that he is uh, without fear ever in his life, um, he, he just jumped straight off. And uh, I'm down there, I'm the designated photographer because everyone knows if, if you don't get a photo of it, it didn't happen. Uh, and so I'm the designated photographer and I'm like lining up this little sunset and, and lock jumping. And I just want to say that the jump was good, but the photo was amazing. Okay, like it's like, he's like silhouetted, like mid fall, perfect sun. It's like one of the best photos I've ever taken. And he uses it as his profile pic now, which goes to show. Um, anyway, it, up, it's my turn next, right? It's my turn to, to climb up. And normally, I mean, I, you know, you sort of feel the butterflies and whatever. You stand on the edge and you're like, I just got to jump off and... For the first time in my life, I found myself considering all of the things that could go wrong. Like normally as a young man, those brain circuits uh, weren't connected. There was no connection um, connecting risk with what I was about to do. It's as if they hadn't formed yet. And then suddenly in this moment, they all came together at one time. And it's like I was suddenly immediately aware of every little thing that could potentially possibly go wrong. And for the first time in my life, I could not throw myself off a cliff. Um, I, just, I couldn't do it. I was, I'm like, I'm on the edge doing these ones like, okay. And there's like people watching, like, is he going to jump? And I'm like, oh, pressure. Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to jump, and I'm trying to jump. And then I had to do the walk of shame. And I, I had to come down off. I know, I know, right? Like, every, everyone's just feeling that. Um, came down, and, and my brother's like, oh, I'll go again. As, right, like just any brother does, you know. He just pops back up, has another jump. I take another epic silhouette photo, mind you. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Like, you know, like you, you give yourself your little pep talk, psych yourself up and climbing up this scraggly cliff thing. And I get to the top and I'm like, just do it. Like, just come on. And I still, I still couldn't do it. My, my mind was so fixated on all of the things that could go wrong. Or I, I was suddenly so focused on the fear around this thing that I actually, I just, I actually just couldn't do it. 
I was completely frozen. And even when I went to throw myself off, um, I already had the feeling of my stomach leaving my body and I was still standing on the ground. It's like I had already committed to this, this fearful state before I had even stepped into the situation that might have been fearful if I'd even stepped into it. Right, And so I had to do a secondary walk of shame, which is twice as bad, um, and, and walk back down. And to this day, I, I did not jump off that cliff. I didn't do it. And, and my brother still flaunts the photo because he did. Uh, and he did it twice, and he did it, of course, better. Um, I have a running joke that no matter what we do in my life, my brother just seems to somehow do it slightly better than me. Uh, it's all right. It's my thorn in the flesh. Um, amen. Anyway, I would, I would really love to, if I could, I'd like to attack this scripture this morning from two levels. I feel like there's two elements that God wants to bring out of this scripture uh, to teach us this morning. Um, and, and one of them, I believe, we can take straight off the top. It's like skimming. It's like we talk about piccolo, lattes and whatever, but who, who entered the coffee kind of realm? I'm just assuming you all drink coffee. It's like 20, almost 2020, like, come on. Um, and I entered with cappuccinos. Did anyone else enter with cappuccinos? Like, like the caramel latte stream, but I didn't want to be mainstream, so I shifted from a latte. I'm going to do something slightly different. I'm going to go cappuccino. I was a hazelnut cappuccino guy for like so long, for so long, right? And, 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 and instead of sipping, I would eat the foam first. Did anyone do that? Get the chocolate? Come on, yeah. So good. Some of you still do it. You'll, you'll, you'll graduate. It's okay. Um, but this, this is like our scripture this morning, right? Some of this, we're, just gonna, we're gonna be able to skim straight off the top. It's a cappuccino foam. It's gonna taste good, all right? It's gonna have a little bit of chocolate in it. Um, and, and then we, we're, we're gonna dive into uh, a, a secondary aspect of it. Um, but here we go. Here's our cappuccino foam. You see, Jerusalem, and when we read about Jerusalem in the Old Testament, we have to understand, as we've said many times, a lot of the Old Testament is this prophetic foreshadow of the, the New Covenant and the New Testament, right? And so there's all these aspects of the Old Testament that we can look at, which show us something about what we live in right now in the New Covenant. And Jerusalem is always a picture of the church, right? The city of God, Zion, okay? And so when we read about that, what we're reading about, we can really practically relate often to our situation as the church. Now, we know that one day Christ will come again and there'll be a new Jerusalem um, and He will dwell in that. But until that point, He has made a choice to dwell in us. We, as the people gathered, are the, the city of God. We are the church, right? It's not a building. It's the gathering of the people in which God has said He will dwell. Okay, and so until the time He comes back and there's a new city and all of that happens, we are the church. I'm glad we've got that. Um, and so when we read about the city of Jerusalem, we can easily relate it to us and what happens with us. And there are times and seasons in every church, right, um, where on assessment of the different aspects and elements of church life, we discover that things need to be rebuilt. Okay, this, is, this is not, should not be a shock, okay. Um, we, we, things need to be renovated, okay. Some things even need to be knocked down and, and rebuilt, expanded and renewed. Uh, new wine cannot go into old wineskins. Um, and if you had an opportunity to, to be at our leadership community, if you're a leader in this church, you would have heard us talk about some of what that looks like practically. Uh, if, if you're not a leader and you would like to be, I would love for you to come and talk to me about stepping into a role of leadership in this church. It's incredibly exciting what's happening in that, that sphere at the moment. But we have to establish that for God to pour new wine into our church, there must be this new wine skin. Uh, Christ, uh, Jesus tells us that we cannot pour old wine, uh, the new wine, into old 
wineskins. We have to have these new wineskins. And so things have to change. Things have to uh, expand, be renewed. And, and look, sometimes uh, it's our own imperfections that cause these breakages. It's just our own imperfections. It's the, the imperfections of, of leadership and humanity. If you're looking for a perfect church, uh, be blessed. There might be one out there. I haven't heard of it. Um, but most churches are imperfect because they're run by people. All right, we do our best um, and we believe that, you know, we hear from God, but we are not perfect and sometimes our imperfections cause things that need to be rebuilt. But sometimes God does a pruning. Sometimes as God comes along and knocks something down because he recognises that that area needs to be built differently. Um, that that area, the way we used to do things isn't the way that's going to handle the new wine anymore and so we need to change that. We need to freshen that. We need to do something new in that space. And you know, the reality is that the church should never stop being like that. It should never settle, all right, in the process. It should never settle. Oh, I've lost my note here. Uh, it should never settle. It should be a living, breathing, growing, expanding entity. A church that stops is a church that becomes stuck and rigid. Our church is not like that. Our church is committed to being a church that will be flexible, expandable, changeable. We are open to the new wine skin that God wants to form so that he can pour new wine into this place. And I tell you, it's not just the pastors you see here. It's our senior pastors are committed to us being that type of church. Pastor Keith and Jana are committed to us being a church that are flexible, expandable, that we can continue to change with the way that God would have us change so we can be the church that God would have us be. And so because of that, we are often in a season of needing to rebuild the construction of new wineskins so we might experience this new wine. And so as we easily pick up, uh, so this morning I think that we can easily pick up some really applicable truths from Nehemiah and the way that he approached the rebuilding of the wall, particularly as I believe we're in a real season of things being rebuilt. So we're going we're gonna to just go right through uh, this passage, if that's all right. We're going to kind of go verse by verse very quickly. There's some things that just, I feel like, like I said, we can skim straight off the top. Let's go. Verse 12. Okay, verse 12. I believe it's going to go up on the screen. Are, are the slides working this morning? There we go. Awesome. It says, The Jews who live near the enemy camp told us again and again that they will come from all directions and attack us. The solution to a problem is not to talk about the problem. We don't talk about the mountains in our lives. We are told to speak to the mountain in our life. You know, we can get, a, we can get really wrapped up talking about a problem and never do anything to solve it. Talking about a problem actually gives us no traction in a solution. It just keeps us going around the mountain, looking at it all the time. The solution to our situation is always in support, not suggestion. It's in working and it's not in whinging. When we recognize that opposition is coming against us in this real rebuilding, please don't give it much airtime. okay? Instead, focus on the work that needs to be done. You know, we can get caught up in what the opposition might do and miss what God has called us to do. We can spend the whole time walking around a mountain saying, oh, look, there's a mountain, instead of saying to that mountain, hey, move. Move out of the way. Because we're called to bring the kingdom of God to planet earth we're not called to stand around talking about oh that's not right oh that's not right oh that's not right because I tell you that sounds like the voice of the enemy not the voice of my God verse 13 I told you we'd go quick through this so I placed armed guards around the lowest parts of the wall and in the exposed areas I stationed the people to stand guard by families 
armed with swords, spears, and bows. You know, when there's a rebuilding to be done, there will always be areas that are exposed. Low parts of the wall that require assistance and support, not criticism and, and critique. You know, opposition should prompt intentionality, not indifference. Can I tell you that if we sit by and watch as areas of our community become isolated in the rebuilding, the opposition will have a field day. The enemy will always try to isolate you before he attacks you. He knows he cannot defeat us if we stand together in families as a family. Supporting the work to build up the area of our community that are feeling exposed. The rebuilding work required everyone, even more so in the lowest areas. You know one of the things I loved about church camp? Who went to church camp? Come on, a little shout out this morning. How good was church camp? Like that, I love it. I had such a good time. Um, do you want to know what I loved about church camp? I mean, I was, in, I was a teacher for a long time, so I went on a lot of camps. I was like camp coordinator for a while. I put together like all the rosters and whatever. One of my favorite things about church camp was the duty roster, right? Did anyone enjoy the duty roster? Do you know why I enjoyed the duty roster? Because we only had one, amen. Because everybody did something, so no one had to do everything. Everybody did something, so no one had to do everything. Wow, I'd love to see that be the heartbeat of this community. That everyone was doing something, and in doing so, it meant nobody actually had to do that much on their own. I think we have a, a false mindset sometimes that the idea of building the church is somehow this excessive extra thing that we need to do. And we build it up to be too big to take a small step. But do you realize that if everyone did small steps together, we would take significant ground? The rebuild, oh, I've said that, let's, let's move on. Verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17. But from then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The officers stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The common laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and with one hand holding a weapon. It was clear for Nehemiah that every single person had a role to play. There was not one person that didn't have significance in Nehemiah's eyes in the role that they would play in rebuilding the wall. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is not one person who calls C3 Victory Central home that does not have a place of significance in building this place to be what God has designed it to be. Every single person has a role. Every single person has a place. Every single person has something that God has placed either in the skill of their hand or in the passion of their heart to do that will, that will work towards the building of this place, the rebuilding of the walls in this place to be the city of God, Zion, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, with such beauty and grandeur that when people see us as the church, they go, wow, something is really real about that place. I also love that Nehemiah really only categorised every single person into two categories. There were either those that worked or those that guarded those who worked. There were either those that were, had their hands on or those that were watching over those who had their hands on. 
just in case something happened on that day, just in case something happened on that Sunday when someone had their hand on, this person, this person was standing back. He was watching, going, oh, the enemy attacked in that place. I'm going to step in. I'm going to guard that person. There was no, there was no third category that included those that were having a, a Mai Tai over in the corner with their feet up while everyone else was, was building the wall. There's no third category in Nehemiah's eyes. There's only two. There's workers or guards. And I guarantee you they switched. They worked or they guarded, and then they worked or they guarded. I think we overcomplicate and we complex, complexify, is that a word? I'm going to use it. You can add it to the dictionary later. We complexify what we're supposed to involve ourselves in when it comes to church. I think we get such a clear picture when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has these two people hanging beside him. And one of those people declares he's God and the other person rebukes him and basically says he's not. And I think God gave us a really clear picture that in life there's going to be two categories of people. Those who believe that God is who he said he is and those that don't. Let's not complicate things. Let's make sure that when we come together as a church, we recognize God says there's two groups. There's those that are building and there's those that are guarding those that are building. Verse 18 to 20. You guys are real quiet this morning. You can talk back to me, all right? All the build, this was supposed to be the, the froth on the top with the chocolate. This was the stuff that tasted good. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding and then our God will fight for us. You know, one of the main jobs of a leader is to position themselves so they can see over all the work. They're responsible for all aspects of the wall, not just one part to be built. And must move around to examine and check how each space is going. And to make sure that no space is left isolated. No space is left exposed. And Nehemiah, he had this trumpeter that went with him. And, and the reason being is because this wall was, it was, it was long and it was wide. And so if Nehemiah was over in one corner, okay, and, and, and he recognised that there was an attack coming in that corner, he couldn't always yell out to those on the other side of the wall that there was assistance needed. And so he had a trumpeter that would go with him who could blow the trumpet so that if Nehemiah arrived as he was overseeing and wandering around and making sure that he knew about everything that was happening around the whole wall, that he could go, you know what, we need a assistance over in the far left corner. Everybody come now. And the trumpeter's sound, that was what it meant. It meant everybody come and give assistance to this space. He said, when people came running, God will fight for us. Do you know that God fights in places of unity? This goes for your marriage, your business, if you're in a position of disunity, you have separated and isolated yourself. Perhaps even in the midst of, of people. You can be sitting in the midst of people, but be in disunity in your heart and actually therefore completely isolated and separated. My heart would be this morning that God encourages you for whatever reason, if you are feeling like that, that he just begins to bring a healing work into your heart, to bring you back into a place of unity, a place where God will fight for you, not against you. When we are in disunity, the enemy has a field day because we are isolated, unsupported and exposed. But in unity, where there is unity, God is able to fight for us and through us. 
And so when Nehemiah sounded the trumpet, people came running. When the leader put out the call to say there were exposed and isolated areas, whether it's people or tasks, whatever it was, others came because they believed in the value of what was being built to support every area. You know, the people that built the wall believed in the whole wall, not just the bit they were responsible for. I know this because when their area wasn't under attack but someone else's was, they left theirs to support the other one. The value of the whole wall was more important than the value of their wall. Okay, the value of the whole wall was more important because they knew that their wall could be, could be 10 feet high, but the enemy could still get in the hole over there. And actually, if the enemy got in behind them, that would be worse than if the enemy came from in front of them. And so they recognised value in the whole wall that was being built, the whole picture, the whole vision, the whole purpose. They saw the whole and the value on the whole and therefore they would leave there for, for everybody else's. Sounds like Jesus when He said, I'll leave the 99 for the one. And this morning, I want you to know very clearly that I, as leader of this community, this campus, I need to sound the trumpet on a few areas. I need to let you know that there are a few areas that in this season of rebuilding, we're exposed and we need some assistance. And I want, I want to let you know, and, and maybe this will just resonate in you. I'm asking you right now not to, not to do something out of guilt. I, I would never want that. But I do ask that if, if something triggers in you as I talk about this, that you would ask God, uh, how can I help? that you would present yourself before God because you believe in the value of the whole, because you believe in the value of what is being built. Yes, with its imperfections, no church is ever gonna be perfect, but can I tell you the church is the hope of the world. What we are establishing in this place is a beacon. It is a city on a hill that will not be hidden. It is gonna shine out to say there is an answer. In this world, it is an answer that brings hope, that brings peace, that brings joy. And it might not always look perfect, but I'm telling you, it will always have perfect hope because Jesus is perfect. And if we can establish a wall, a city that people can enter, it doesn't matter if the wall isn't always straight. What matters is who they meet when they get in here. Okay, it matters that there is a structure that they can come into and feel safe and secure just for enough time that they might be able to meet Jesus. And so my prayer this morning would be that people would come running, that you would recognise that if we all did a little, then a little would all that would be needed to be done. So I'm sounding the trumpet for kids' ministry. I'm sounding the trumpet this morning for our welcome parking team and our hospitality team. And I'm sounding the trumpet for our production team. These guys all do an incredible job. They do an incredible job. In fact, this morning, uh, we, had, we had situations where, where we didn't have anyone. And I saw the heartbeat that I've been talking about in action because people left their little wall to come and, 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 to, and to join with the exposed area. But you know what I know? I know that we have enough people in this community that if everyone played the role that I believe God has called them to, we would actually not all need to do a lot. We would just all get to do a little. And that by all doing a little, an incredible amount of work would get done. Let, let's be a community that comes to the sound of a problem and not just announce the sound of a coming problem. I'm, I don't want to get too practical in my message 
But there's going to be sheets at the info desk with our venue team this morning. It's a simple sheet. It's just an opportunity for you to pop your name down, indicating that you would be interested in assisting in one of those areas. You don't need any qualifications and you don't need any experience, just a desire to help. From there, the leaders of those areas will talk to you about how. You know, the funny thing is, if four people said they were willing to help once a month, we would only need to commit to once a month. I'd like to hope that, that we can find that. I'd like to hope that we could see the value of the whole, of what is being built in this place. I hope that we could see the value of the church in our generation. I hope that when society would say that the church might be irrelevant, outdated, that it's, it's shot itself in the foot too many times, I would like to think that we are a generation that would stand by and say, no way. We're not, we're not going to lay down tools when we still believe that we are called to be a city on a hill. I don't want to be a generation that stands by and sees the church slip into in... I've lost my word. Irrelevance, thank you. See, it helps when you talk back to the preacher. I want to see a generation rise up that says, you know what, I will do a little. I'll do a little because I can. I'll do a little because I believe in the value of the whole. Verse 22. It says, the, oh, no, doesn't it? it says, I also told everyone living outside the walls to move into Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could go on guard duty at night as well as work during the day. Nehemiah encouraged those whose lives had begun to be lived and established outside the church outside the walls of protection and the community within, he encouraged them to move back into the church. They'd move closer to the marketplace, closer to the crops, closer to the traders, or, or, or maybe, maybe they just, it was just easier not to come back up the hill every day, back into the city. It was, just, it was just more convenient. It was just more convenient to slowly slip out of the community. It, it was just more convenient not to go every week. It was just more convenient to establish a life outside of the, the, the city. It was just more convenient. We don't know the reason why, but we, it's clear that, that for whatever reason, people had slowly begun to establish life outside of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah called them back in. You know what's amazing about this scripture? And for me, this is, this is the deeper bit right now. This is, this is, this is where we want to unpack. This is what I really want to feel like God's got his hand on this morning. But, but Nehemiah goes to all this detail, all this detail, all of these plans, all of this like positioning this person, equipping, he does all of this stuff in preparation and in readiness for battle and opposition. And do you know that we do not have one single record of a battle? Not one sword is swung, not one arrow is fired. Do you know they never had to fight? They never had to fight. You see, the enemy will work to fix your focus on a fight that may never come and distract you from the work that could be done. You know, if we read Nehemiah 4, 11 and 12 in the message version, it says, and all this time our enemies were saying, they won't know what hit them. Before they know it, we'll be at their throats, killing them right and left. That will put a stop to their work. The Jews who were their neighbours kept reporting, they have surrounded us, they are going to attack. If we heard it once, we heard it 10 times. 
Do you know the enemy works in threats and intimidation and he is relentless? He is relentless. He will bombard us with thoughts, accusations and intimidation to freeze us and make us afraid of something that may actually never happen. Fear will try to make a fact out of fiction. It will try to make certainty of a potential or a maybe. You know, the enemy has no power to overcome the victorious name of Jesus. His power is found in intimidation. His power is found in his facade. His power is found in in constantly bombarding you with thoughts that might be, that could be, that, that look like they are certain, but they're not certain. And so what we do is we stop because we're afraid of what we've begun to believe will be, even though there's no guarantee that it will be. Fear will trap you in a what might and keep you from a what could. So they never actually had to fall, had to fight. But Nehemiah knew that if he, if he let fear get a grip, if he knew, he knew that if he let fear take their focus, they would be so worried that if they built anything, the enemy would come. And so they would build nothing at all. Nehemiah 4, 13 to 14 in the message says, So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the war and assigned people by families with their swords, lances, and bows. We need some more lances around here. After looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, officials, and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the Master. Great and awesome. And then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah prepared plans and he was aware, but he never let the fear of the fight take his focus off his purpose. Some of you have let fear of what might happen stop you from stepping into a place of potential. You're afraid of burnout. You're afraid of overcommitting, of not knowing what to do. You have a fear of failure, a fear of not being good enough. A fear of what happened last time happening again. And those fears have stopped you from doing even a small thing. And I'm not talking just about church. I'm talking about in your marriage. I'm talking about in dating. I'm talking about in your business. I'm talking about the way you parent. The fear of what might, the fear of what could has paralyzed you from what you can. You're scared of an end point, so you won't take a first step. Can I tell you, the enemy will use our past, our history, our experiences, and our worries to build a case of certainty from speculation. But here is the the thing the enemy works in the realm of the facade, of intimidation and lies, of pretense and possibility marked as probability. And He works in the vulnerable place of our mind. He will bombard our thoughts with what ifs and what did. Of situations of potential posed as absolute. And we will freeze if we are not aware of His schemes. But you see, Nehemiah's instruction stands true today. Keep your mind on the Master. And then fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Fix your mind on God. 
Fix your mind on His goodness. Fix your mind on His ability, on His power, and then get back on with your purpose. Stop letting fear rob you from your purpose. I tell you, fear has one goal in life and it is to stop you. It is to make you feel like you can't. It is to make you feel like if you do, something will go wrong. And so you stay in a place. And I tell you, all fear does is slowly cause you to step back, shrink back, get smaller. It is not from God that the Bible says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. This vulnerable place does not need to be vulnerable. It needs to be transformed and changed on the truth of the Word, that we are in Christ, that He is stable, unchanging, that it is not by my strength, not by my might, but it is by His Spirit. We will put our mind on the Master and we will not let fear of what might be stop us from moving into what will be. Because I'm telling you, when God has a plan, the enemy cannot stand in its way. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like Nehemiah, we are to be alert, but not alarmed. We are to be prepared, but on purpose. Do not let fear freeze you from your role. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.